0: You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Today, my guest is Tom Marney, a teacher and educational researcher. In this episode, we explore Tom's diverse teaching roles related to both mathematics and psychology. Tom recounts his previous studies as background to his current PhD research aims, which relate to reflexivity and how teachers perceive themselves. Tom seeks to understand the different values and beliefs, ideologies and philosophies that teachers bring to the classroom, where these might have originated and how this might, in turn, influence their teaching role we chat about the various factors that influence classroom dynamics including trust, power, reflection and teacher agency. Tom reflects on dominant ideologies, standardised or cookie-cutter classroom approaches, belief systems that see education as a service, addressing individual and collective student needs and the role of teachers in making professional judgments in their own classroom contexts. Tom offers some deeper considerations related to the broader and more holistic purpose of teaching within social and collective educational systems. Here's my conversation with Tom Marney. Okay. Thanks for joining us Tom. Good to see you. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me Mark. Appreciate it. So, let's go back in time. I want to find out a little bit more about um maybe what you studied or what you were you a good student or were you you know what what were you doing in your past that's led us up until this
1: point? Yeah. I originally wasn't going to go back this far, but now that you mentioned that I think I might actually start back when I was in year nine, actually. I I somehow knew that I wanted to be a teacher and I was friends with a a, a boy whose mother was teaching at our school. And I rem- remember mentioning it to my friend. He said, you don't want to be a teacher. My, my mom's a teacher. She hates her job. You don't want to do it. Anyway, being a young teenager and being quite agreeable, I said, oh, yeah, that sounds about right. And so, I blocked it out of my mind for years. I finished high school. And for a couple of years, I took a gap year and trying to figure out what I wanted to do until my now wife pushed me and said, surely, you you know what you want to do. Ah, when I was younger, I wanted to be a teacher. And all of a sudden, she says, why aren't you doing that? And that's what brought me into the, the world of teaching and education. And so, I did a Bachelor of teaching secondary and arts at Deakin University. Finished that in 2014. I began my teaching career in 2015 and then began my master's of education in 2016. Then we got to um, I'm kind of moving forwards, but then I'm going to go backwards in terms of my education. So I then completed my Masters of Education at Deakin in 2020, and I've started my PhD studies in 2021. And so that's what I'm doing part time at the moment while I work full time as a teacher.
0: There's a lot of study in there. You must yeah. enjoy, You must enjoy the process of, or not, well, yeah, the activities and process of studying.
1: Okay? I do. I do. And I think there was always a sense when I left my teaching degree that it would be really important that I would continue study and research because I had a sense that I wanted to be continually pushed and to experience new ideas. And it's quite interesting to think back as a young teacher that I would have this kind of foresight to think that as teachers often – we get locked into ways of doing things and thinking in terms of education and that exposing myself to new ideas and further study and research would help to broaden my perspective and improve my practice. And so that's something I've always enjoyed doing and I've always enjoyed engaging with theory and I've always felt it to be really relevant to teaching and education, which is often quite different to my experience of teachers in the field. Is there is a perspective that theory is, is quite distant, quite separate from the practice of teaching, and I would argue there's there's a real interconnection between our theories and how we actually teach. So,
0: what, for those people that are not teachers, or even for those people that, who are teachers and and don't you know engage with that kind of territory what are you talking about what sort of what's this thing called theory and you know versus what isn't what teachers just do like what's maybe an example of what's your favorite th- favorite theory
1: that's a very good question when i talk about theory what i am meaning to say is those beliefs and those perspectives and values that ground our practice so what we do In practice, as a teacher is based on quite underlying beliefs, and those beliefs are in relation to how learning happens. And for example, the role of the teacher. Maybe one example is if our perspective of the teacher is one that is knowledgeable and brings the knowledge to our students, there is a certain inequality between the teacher and the student. The teacher knows and the student doesn't know. And so that influences our practice. As a teacher, we are the ones that know and the student doesn't. And so there is a real impact on how we actually deliver our classes and our lessons and the way that we do our curriculum work. And that's quite different to someone who might perceive the teacher as knowing somewhat but also the student knowing as well. And so that might bring a bit more of a dialogical perspective, maybe a more of a a community way of doing doing your teaching practice, more student-centered, maybe more maybe more collaborative, that sort of thing. Not necessarily saying that one is good and one is bad, but it's important to see that those theories that we have of learning and teaching do have a practical out working in in what we do, so hopefully, yeah. Thanks, thanks for that overview.
0: I guess hopefully, for you've kind of introduced the idea. Well, one, the teachings are more more complicated than a layperson may appreciate. It's not just somebody going in front of a group of people and they start talking, and the the job of the the students is just to sit there and listen. Mm. Um, it's kind of um, it taps into a lot, I guess. On a surface level, it appears as though it's that, and that, that's true in some kind of circumstances. But um, that's just one way of approaching this thing called teaching and learning and all the associated kind of territory.
1: But I better stop talking. What no, else can no, you, you tell you, us? You can keep talking. <laughs> I think what you're getting at is partially what I'm. I'm really interested in when it comes to education. Often, we do hear discourse that names teaching as a profession where we just do what we're told to. We're, we're told to give the curriculum and and that's it or that's just our job. Our job is not to be political. It's to just deliver these apolitical outcomes for our students to receive and to acknowledge and, and embody and then we know but, we've we've done our job, but isn't the word like political?
0: Um, it's about people. And That's right. It, it kind of. Last time I checked, teaching is a very human um, process, experience. Even we we're talking on a computer, um, mm. but it's still humans are at the heart of it. That's right. So, so I, think, I guess it's kind of. Seems a bit artificial, maybe, to kind of separate and, and say, but you know, you do get these sort of notions across lots of different industries. The role of the practitioner needs to be in a particular category, all nice and neat, and they don't
1: give any lip or that's right attitude. That's right, and so you know, often that satisfies the the needs of a particular group while disregarding the needs of maybe another group, and that's. Often where the, the conflicts arise is what kind of political entity the teacher actually is, and I think that is what causes a few tensions, a few conflicts in, in the profession and also the field in general as well. So when, when you were teaching, what, what subjects were you teaching? Or when you, when you first started teaching, I should say. Yeah, when I first started teaching, I was teaching mathematics and I'm a mathematics and psychology trained teacher, and that sounds like a quite a intriguing combination. Often people do say that, which is interesting. I think it's that mix of I, I love the the beauty and the logic of mathematics, but I also love the way that psychology delves into the way that we understand each other and uh, society, and and I, I think. I love that combination of those those two subjects. With mathematics, it was quite interesting coming from my university studies where I I completed a mathematics education unit, which was very much – it it exposed me to different kinds of approaches to mathematics teaching – and in particular, a relational approach to teaching mathematics. And what often, that that's, a, that's a very good question. And if if we can contrast it with a procedural approach, they don't necessarily have to go either or, but a procedural approach is rote learning of a particular mathematical fact, which has its place, but relational teaching of mathematics involves bringing in the relationships between the mathematical concepts and reality and how it is applied in everyday contexts, I guess you could say. Obviously, there are some mathematical concepts which are a little bit more abstract than others, but that's the general idea. And when I went through uni, I did a unit on that, which really just opened my mind in terms of the way that mathematics could be understood. Because I did mathematics at secondary school and did quite well but I still argue to this day that I didn't actually know the mathematics. I knew how to do it and knew when to do it, but I didn't actually know it fully.
0: So you I think, don't mean you're not one with the numbers type thing. You, what do you mean by you didn't
1: know? Yeah, that sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? When when I say that, I mean that I had no concept of how these ideas related to one another And how they could be applied in context. And so I knew about differentiation, but I didn't really know what it meant. And I didn't know how I could apply it. I knew how to solve a a maximum problem or I, I knew how to find the derivative of a certain equation. But it wasn't until I went through university and actually started teaching mathematics that I really... Got an understanding of that, which has then made me quite passionate about working in my practice to try and bring those relational aspects to mathematics teaching, which is often quite a procedural task. When we talk about apolitical task, (laughs) mathematics teachers is probably one of the more apolitical of the lot, I'd say, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. And so, yeah, so I teach mathematics and and. I've been teaching VC psychology for the past seven years alongside VC mathematics.
0: What's the psychology aspect? Is that like in, in a school or?
1: Mm. Yeah, so it's a discipline subject in um, senior years of, Vic- of Victorian schools. So we've got our VCE, the uh, Victorian Certificate of Education, and you've got your different disciplines, your different subjects, and psychology falls in one of those subjects. So it's actually a standalone subject. It's not – it can be included in science in earlier years and there can be electives, but it's mainly a VCE subject, a year 11 and 12 subject in Victoria.
0: I did not know this. So what sort of scope, like – so it sounds fascinating to introduce that sort of – um that sort of area to younger learners
1: yeah and part of what we do in the psychology curriculum is learning about learning and we learn about the brain and we learn about the structure of the brain we learn about social relationships and power we learn about perception and how our perceptual understanding can be altered and can be different the reason that we see different illusions is because our perception of reality is actually not total and these these different concepts are really really intriguing to me, and I find them really interesting. Coming from a mathematical perspective, which is very much this is how it is, to a psychology perspective, which says, "Oh, wait a minute, what about this?" Um, so, I I really enjoy both of those different aspects and and tying them together where I can. So, <laughs> and then what about the
0: more recent? further study, like um, the Masters and then your PhD, like what's that? What? Are, where are you headed with that?
1: Where are you headed? Well That's a good question. My hope would be down the line to be involved as a voice in education in some aspect. I don't know whether that means teaching at university or continuing my research, but really I had a real interest in Understanding the different values and beliefs that people bring forward to schooling and to teaching and to education, really that came about in my first teaching uh, employment. I was at quite a high-performing school that had uh, had a conflicting philosophy to mine, and so that created tensions. And part of my direction for my further study has been to understand where those conflicts, those tensions have come from or where they come from. And and part of my exploration of that is to see that coming through in the different ideologies that people hold towards education. What are those beliefs and value systems that guide those, um, those beliefs and those actions towards education? And so, my PhD is moving in, in that direction, understanding how those educational ideologies influence teachers and the way that they understand their work.
0: You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. So you've been doing this teaching and then you decided to just pretty much not a lot of time had passed where you decided to do a masters and then i guess you what you were saying earlier you, you from that you enrolled in a phd so yeah. i mean can we just go back a little bit what tell us more about what you covered and learned in your masters
1: so when i started my teaching career like i said previously i was at a school that probably had some conflicting philosophies compared to mine. And I didn't really pick up on it for the first year. In the first year, I was a beginning teacher. I was quite idealistic. and I was bringing forward these, these new ideas into my classroom. I was bringing in open-ended activities and really enjoying the disruption that it created to some of the power relations between students in the class. Often the students that believe that they're smart in mathematics, smart in inverted commas, are the ones that can pick up on the patterns and do the rote learning really well. I've seen and, that. I've
0: observed that myself, yes. I'm familiar with the, the, the that on a practical level, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure you've... Probably seen in some circumstances, if you've ever posed a question that maybe is a little bit open, doesn't necessarily have a specific answer. Those that are waiting and looking for the pattern can't find it, but those that have maybe felt a little bit disconnected, those that haven't known a specific answer but can know that they contribute, can can contribute. All of a sudden, they start speaking up, and it it, it brings a disruption to what was previously seen as those that can contribute and those that can't. And I was really enjoying doing that as a teacher. So that was my first year. But unfortunately, and being an idealistic teacher, I just thought that was just, this is great. This is great education. Uh, these students are, are being challenged. But unfortunately, it caused problems and it caused rifts in the parent bodies and the groups. There was a um, discrepancy between perceptions of maybe responsibility and and who is responsible for the students learning and this all sort of came about in the second year that i was teaching and it was during this year that i started my masters of education and once again starting the masters of education was on the encouragement and advice of my wife who knew that i wanted to do it and she said just just get into it just do it give it a go and you can always defer if you if it's too much or whatever And I got into it and I was doing one subject a semester. And during that really quite difficult time of tension at the school I was teaching at, I found that my master's of education was a safe haven for me. It was a place where I could express my ideas without necessarily being shut down. And there was a particular unit of work which looked at curriculum studies. And as part of that, we looked at different ideologies that form the basis for different ways of thinking about the curriculum. And this was just life-changing for me. This this opened up a whole new world for me. Because all of a sudden I had some language to understand what was going on in my situation. I could understand why there were tensions arising in my perspective of teaching and, and learning, as opposed to maybe those those parents, the parent group of those Students that I was teaching, why there was this issue there, and what so was the,
0: um, yeah, I guess it's uh, not that we need you to give a, a definition of the word ideology, but yes. you know, like I guess what's the what was the sort of summary maybe or what, a simple version of of what was happening there, and, and I guess this language that you speak of, the kind of being able to describe the the kind of maybe the dynamics or the setup or you know. Mm.
1: Yes, so if I was to explain maybe what was happening in terms of ideologies, I guess that was the first time I'd really heard the word neoliberalism talked about. And a lot of people will just be over the word neoliberalism. And yes, it has been just said over and over and over again, sometimes without any explanation. But that belief system, which we could call an ideology, and look, I will just quickly say if we're talking about ideologies, generally I like to think about them as just beliefs and value systems that are the the grounding through which we engage in practice or political acts, political activity. And if we understand that teaching is a political activity, then it's it's going to be grounded by ideologies. It's going to be grounded by values. And neoliberalism was this particular ideology that sees marketization as the be-all and end-all. That will create better education, better students, a better society. And the idea that education is a service that you pay for and you're entitled to that service was really the belief that was coming from these parents. And my perspective was different I didn't believe but, that I, I was I was a servant to anyone, <laughs> being maybe, a young, maybe being, reasonable, reasonable maybe being a young, I, I, and I say this, that's probably what I was thinking as a young idealistic teacher. I'm a little bit more balanced, I would say now, but <laughs> at the time, that would have been probably my perspective.
0: So you mean like it's a commodity, like you kind of go to the shop and you get something off the shelf and you pay your money and then you've got that product kind of yes. that's a hugely simplified version but that's the that's sort of like the the sort of exchange or the what's happening but i guess education's yes. a lot more complicated than that last time i checked but that's i guess right. it's kind of the the kind of the, the sort of to a, a, just a simple version is this sort of um how it's conceived as a
1: that's kind That's right. Of, that's right. And so depending on what perspective you have if you consider that maybe our culture is really embedded within this belief system of neoliberalism that markets are the way things are. It's quite natural to think, well, I'm paying for this education. I'm paying your wage, you know, in inverted commas. You're not really actually paying my wage because the government actually pays for a substantial amount of that, but that is the perspective. We're paying money and we're entitled to this service and depending on how The parent or the individual perceives that service or what that service should entail uh, depends on how they sort of respond. Maybe it's good, great, good grades. So yeah, well, there's
0: there's an expectation. You paid your money. You want something back. You know, that's right. And there's some of that's been in the news lately in New South Wales, at least. Um, Mm. Just that exact thing. But so I guess you you were introduced to this idea and it resonated really immediately by the sounds of it when you were doing your masters
1: so then what happened for you well from there i really i i, I couldn't actually resolve the tensions between my school community and my my philosophical perspectives and so i, I actually really needed to to move to a different context so i i changed schools really down the, the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of belief systems and basically found my place there. So I've been there since for the past seven years and have have really, really enjoyed it. And there's been such a different perspective in terms of critiquing these belief systems that we bring to education so that was actually a fundamental part of the schooling culture is to to challenge and and consider what are those beliefs that are behind our practice and so moving to this other school was uh just a a game changer for me but i was still really passionate about understanding what it was that actually happened <laughs> to me and why a bit of self-reflection it
0: self-reflection was... there, I guess self-reflection what? and
1: I, I yeah. guess sort what, of why what did it, why you. did it happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that there was a, a sense of injustice, I, I guess that I felt in that as a teacher, I couldn't do what I saw as my job and I couldn't, I couldn't be given the agency to make judgments with, trust in a way that i would have hoped maybe i would have expected and i wanted to understand and explore that further and that's what led me to continue to move in in that direction beliefs and value systems is is something that i'm really interested in especially when it comes to education and so that's been something that's continually guided my my direction so beginning my phd in 2021 the whole Direction for that is to understand how these belief systems impact on how teachers see themselves.
0: All oh, right. So how teachers see themselves? It's kind of like it's all this kind of quite complex. I'm I'm keeping up with the ideas. I feel as though I'm
1: I've lived. I'm in it. I'm in the middle <laughs> somehow. But, um, but well, some- I, I must say, if if we're going sideways here and there in this interview. We are experiencing the PhD. Like this this is what a PhD is all about. It's it's so not what do you necess- have to do. Like what do you I
0: understand there's generally a research question. Yes. And then you kinda I don't really know. What's what are you what are the nuts and bolts of the
1: process? Yeah. Good question. I'm doing it part time. So I've got something like eight years to do this thing, which is heaps of time. Usually it's about three years or so. But the way it generally starts is you have a problem, you've got a question that you want answered, and then you go ahead and try to gather some data to figure out what's going on with that problem, maybe try and answer your, your question or find some form of answer to your question. So what's now, your problem? I mean, that's...
0: what's your problem? <laughs> I mean, what, what, what's your problem?
1: Well, I, I think my... My problem at the moment is that there are particular belief systems or ideologies that are currently dominating schooling culture and our understanding of education in Australia. And those dominant ideologies, my perspective is that they they limit what a teacher can actually become and what the teacher can be. And what I mean by that is that, for instance, there's an, there's an ideology social efficiency which looks at the role of education as meeting the needs of a client and so that client could be society, could be a, a market, could be industry, could be whatever. But in making the role of a teacher as simply meeting the needs of society as they're requesting it at that point in time restricts the teacher in, in what they can actually do Do they're they're restricted by learning outcomes that they must meet because this is the requirement of society? And although a teacher might know that there are actually some really important things that these students in their context might need to know and explore, they're restricted by the way that the curriculum is shaped and formed, the way that the structure of the education system is created. That means that a teacher has to, in some ways, maybe forfeit some of their judgment to meet the needs of society as it is.
0: Yeah, it's kind of almost, well, like, I'm just thinking of all that kind of, um, the, all the information from, you know, and the culture, it, it, it's impossible to cover everything in you know, you have to be selective as to what you cover. Just say in history, for example, That's right. yep. or you know. But then, I guess thinking of science as certain grounded, really important kind of processes that you want to make um, sure you you cover and strengthen, because otherwise, there won't be any new science scientists um, graduating and um, you know contributing back to society. Yep. So, I guess it's how do you how does all that work then or you know i guess that's a big question or you know it's sort of a, again the scope of this what you're talking about it's huge surely
1: sure huge it's slightly dangerous so. <laughs> but it is something that really excites me and invigorates me so i've really put myself up to the challenge to explore this this field and it is it is big it's huge and it could go go any which way once I start getting into the the actual research itself. But I definitely see see what you're saying. And and yeah, it's about I don't necessarily have an answer, right? That's why we're doing the PhD. But I, <laughs> right back at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Yeah. It, but in in terms of what I am wanting to do and encourage my participants who will be teachers to do is to reflect on these different belief systems and as teachers actually have agency to make judgment calls despite what might be the dominant perspective of things so Mm -hmm. you know maybe a dominant perspective could be that we need to have these particular things taught in maths and science and look that's fine but maybe we need to find a way of bringing something else in. Maybe we need to bring a relational aspect to that. Maybe we need to not just think about education or science as a list of facts, but actually seeing how we can then apply that. So, Herb Biesta, who is an educational theorist, talks about how often learning outcomes talk about what you learn, but it doesn't explain what the student is to do with that knowledge. And so, as teachers – my hope is that through reflecting on the belief systems, we can actually have some wider perspectives to draw from to be able to make some some judgment calls that can make education more holistic rather than simply based on qualification. So, understanding certain concepts and knowing knowledge, but to actually then apply it and then impact who they are as people. So, I, I'm, once again, I'm going through a dangerous amount of concepts right there. So I probably just need a pause.
0: <laughs> You're listening to Perspectives in Parryville. Now, I did ask you what your problem was earlier, Um yeah. but to... Like I understand in PhD territory, you you do need to quantify, or you know you have a, a quite a precise research question. So mm. in amongst all of that talk earlier, I'm not sure I got what what is the research question.
1: Yeah, your the,
0: research question.
1: Yes, and as with many other PhD projects, there are usually a number of questions that are put down initially but there is a core guiding question that for me is whether a reflexive engagement of educational ideologies can help to emancipate teachers to act in more educative ways and how that might happen. Now, that, that question had lots of words in there that maybe didn't make any sense, so feel free to just Ask me if you have any particular questions about any of those words.
0: <laughs> I followed the concept. I can get the concept because it's consistent with what you were saying earlier. I guess yeah. the, that one new new key term, emancipate. What does that mm. What does that mean for a teacher in a classroom?
1: Potentially, if we were to just summarise it, I would say freedom. So emancipation being the freedom for a teacher to make judgments in their classroom. And not being freed by somebody else coming in and saying, You can you can you can do this, I, I give you the power to do this. But they in their reflecting of different ideologies, different belief systems, they bring their reflection to their practice. And then they make the decision that is important for their context and their class. And so it's about not, yeah, not even empowering. Empowering is, is giving power to someone who doesn't have power. In this particular case, the teacher already has power. It's about helping them to really understand that they can actually make these judgments and that if, like, through, through reflecting on ideas and values, they can then have some alternative visions to draw from to then bring into their into their context.
0: Um, So one other thing that just came to mind is the, the kind of the diversity across a typical school, just with the different subjects that are taught. You know, not all teachers are created equal. The PE teachers are doing stuff that's quite different to the science teachers, but yes, or just the English teachers. And then you know, the new technology that's brought into to, it's kind of technology and design or i don't know what you call that but so my question is do you is this going to be looking across all subjects at like for all teachers or is it mainly focused on particular areas
1: that's a good question it's going to be broad so at this stage i and once again as a As a PhD project, it's going to move sideways. It's going to go all over the shop. So this might not even be where it ends up going. But at this particular point in time, what I perceive happening is that my participants will be secondary school teachers of any subject, of any state in Australia. And all they have to do is basically be registered teachers because I'd be really interested in how this research might impact on casual teachers, part-time teachers, and ongoing teachers, and also different contexts as well. So it doesn't have to be just government. So it would be government, independent, Catholic. I am hoping to get a wide range of different participants to really understand what kind of impact it might have on teachers' agency for them to reflect on the different values that impact on their teaching.
0: Yeah, I'm just thinking because being a, spend, I've spent many years as a casual teacher, block casual and then day-to-day casual, and then it basically sometimes you're just thrown in there with no prep. You have to kind of figure it out immediately. Mm. And then other times you're given the teacher will be really, really upset if you don't cover exactly what's been planned out and supplied. So it's mm. this huge range of... um kind of well I guess it is agency or you know the ability to have to you have to respond and that you know the class is there in front of you. Um and so I guess it's kind of um well I don't know I guess it gets back to the complexity of these systems. Mm. And um and I think
1: part of what I'm trying to do through my research and the way I'm engaging with various people is to get people to start considering educational purpose. And, and you know I say getting started I shouldn't say that really continue or bring to light maybe educational purpose because we're we're always talking about educational purpose but sometimes we don't necessarily bring it forward as as much as maybe we we could for instance casual teachers what is the purpose of a casual teacher now one school might or one teacher as you said might just be like yeah just take them just supervise them It's babysitting. Oh, I knew you were going to say that word. It's dangerous. It's dangerous, right? And another school, another teacher might have really important plans and things that they want to have done because they believe that the casual teacher is important. And so these beliefs about what is valuable and the purpose of that particular teacher, those really influence what can be done. Notice as a a CRT, and notice how my my research is – on the ways that these belief systems can hold us back from being particular types of teachers. And think about if you want to be a good CRT but no one leaves you any notes, that restricts you in actually enacting that purpose that you want to bring to your practice. And so these different belief systems all contribute and all have an impact on each each other. So within an educational system that is social and it's – it's collective, our actions impact on all those people around us. So that's what I want to bring to light.
0: And so what sort of, how do you prepare, I guess you sort of, I mean, you'd have to tap into the ideologies themselves or how do you, what are you sort of, what groundwork,
1: I guess, are you, are you doing or have done? That's, A really good question and something I'm still trying to work out the kinks, how to align some of my theoretical frameworks and conceptual frameworks with the way that I would actually do this study. Something that I'm still trying to work through, but my perspective at the moment is that the participants that get involved in this particular project might come together as a group so we'd be a sort of a small group that would explore the ways that these different ideologies impact on our practice and if there are participants that are not aware of these particular ideologies then there is space for exploring these expanding on these and bringing in, bringing them to light i guess you could say so that often the experiences that teachers have they already know that these belief systems are there but they might not necessarily have a language to discuss what these belief systems are.
0: Hmm. What um? What are your? What about when with the idea that not all teachers engage so much with the theory, or you know, maybe they're more based in as practitioners, or you know, they
1: kind of don't. Well, I don't know. And that's interesting. I I would be open to having a participant who is from that perspective because I would be interested to see what they bring to the table, I guess. What What are their belief systems that come forward? And, and not necessarily dismissing of that perspective, but um, acknowledging that there might be actually some, some knowledge that could be gained from these different individuals And I had a conversation with a a fellow teacher a few months back, just talking about, and he he made a comment that you're always going to have these teachers that are just not going to want to engage. And they're just, they're not going to want to, uh, you know, go with your initiatives and that sort of thing. And part of me thinks that those people are actually worth listening to. And there's a, a reason that those individuals actually feel that way. And, and so engaging in this reflexivity, which is that reflecting on beliefs, it would be really interesting to see what they bring to the table. You know, why are these beliefs on the forefront of their their minds? What, why is this perspective? Because I, I would argue that my, most teachers probably want to do a good job. I can't really say I've ever met a teacher that doesn't want to do a good job. Now, it's not to say there isn't one out there that's just, you know, in teaching for a little bit and wants to go, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a bad person or whatever. It's, it's their, it's their belief. It's, it's what's guiding their practice. But maybe if we were to engage in dialogue with that individual, they might be able to align maybe their beliefs with their practice a little bit more. Maybe they actually want to do something else and, and maybe maybe reflecting on beliefs and values can engage them to either maybe engage in, in more educative acts in their teaching practice or maybe it would cause them to think about their teaching profession another way. I I'm not sure. But it it's
0: very interesting because it does kind of it brings up notions of like um intrinsic motivation and that mm. kind of, you know, there's external you know, um, motive—is that the right phrase? External motivation, yeah.
1: Or things that yeah. are extrinsic, extrinsic it- and intrinsic. Yeah, yep. I knew that I didn't get it quite right. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. It's—I think it's a psychology knowledge in 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 my brain somewhere that I knew that. <laughs>
0: but the thing that's internal to one's uh, identity and um being that is driving them along. You know, it's mm. kind of. Um, and so some of this territory, or like I guess if it's by default, things like values or you know um, that sort of territory, um, and I guess it, it would resonate with most teachers. I think this idea that they do want to do a good job, or they want to, you know, certain attributes that all teachers would share as kind of almost like an approach to the world type thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess some of that's so so within the individual. It's hard to kind of well, yeah. What do you? How do you? measure those sort of things and i guess would you be measuring those sort of intrinsic motivation in in the scope of your
1: research or no that's kind of uh out of scope yeah it's a good question i at, at this stage it's probably looking like that would be out of the scope but depending on how things go like i said it's a phd Anything can happen. So (laughs) it might actually be a focus. It might be something that actually uh, enables or restricts uh, a teacher to enact their values in their practice. And so teachers that maybe are not intrinsically motivated in their practice, it might be due to the way that these values have been imposed on their practice. And it's actually restricting their agency to actually make their own judgments. And as we're talking, you know, it makes me wonder, you know, is that actually what we're seeing in the teaching profession? When we refer to, when you hear education, stand-in education ministers talking about dud teachers, when we're saying dud teachers, are these just the teachers that are disgruntled because they haven't been trusted to enact their practice in the way that, they have been able to in the past. And this imposition of values on our education system with increasing need to measure, increasing need to marketize, and increasing need to conserve the n- kinds of knowledge that we transmit or, um, yeah, I, I, for lack of a better word, it's transmit. It's a brutal word. It is a crude word. Isn't it? yeah. yeah, it's a crude word, isn't it?
0: But I, it does I, happen. It has a place, that kind of that's approach. Right. But, you know, it's not everything. That's right.
1: That's far right. from it. That's right. And so, yeah, has, has those impositions of policy and practice on the teaching profession created these kinds of subjectivities in the teachers? Has it actually created these, you know, I, I wouldn't say there are dud teachers, but... If we were to perceive a certain group of teachers as dud teachers, maybe it's actually creation of the structure and the systems rather than the actual individuals themselves. So to summarise, I think in terms of what I'm hoping to do is to really engage educators in reflecting on the values and beliefs that not only they hold but the values and beliefs that are imposed on them by our culture and policy mandates and to allow educators and teachers to be able to understand that there are alternative visions and to give teachers agency to then make judgment calls that would be best for their context and their practice. My thinking around the reasons for having teachers reflect on ideologies and perspectives of values and, and beliefs that impact on education is is that the students that come before us are not cookie cutter. They're different. They're from different backgrounds. They have different needs. And often the dominant ideologies that are impacting on education see students in a particular way that maybe locks them in and as teachers restricts our ability to teach in a way that acknowledges the individuality of our different students. And so my hope is that reflecting on these different value systems that are impacting on our practice can help us to maybe draw from alternative visions to, I guess, enact the democratic aims of Australian education, but also to meet the needs of the students that come before us. In a sense, at this stage, my perspective of education and I'm just kind of playing with this idea at the moment is that we actually don't know what education is or what it should be until we actually have the individual in front of us and it's once we have the individual in front of us that we can then make a judgment for how education is best to happen and i think teachers are best placed to make those decisions and that's why my research is is all focused within the teaching profession In this
0: episode, I chatted with Tom Marney, a teacher and educational researcher. You can find out more information about this episode in the show notes, including a link to Tom's research blog. Thank you for listening to Perspectives in Parryville.